Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 6th of 2017. I'm Ryan Wilson of HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from, yeah. HockeyHurts.com. Oh yeah, that's us. Yeah, you kind of own the site. (laughs) And this week, we are going to discuss the very impressive Columbus Blue Jackets winning streak, which did come to an end last night, but... That doesn't change the fact that that's a hell of a uh, of a run for that team. Uh, we're going to tie that into the they came up one short of the all time record, which is was 17 wins in a row by the 1992-93 Penguins. So we'll tie a little bit of um, that into it. And then we're going to take a snapshot of the league standings. We're almost at the halfway point for some teams. We are at the halfway point for some. What's the playoff picture look like? Because it's really tough to make up points in a three-point system where some games are worth two points, some games are worth three points with that loser point involved. Uh, who's looking good? Who should be a little bit worried and who could should just cash out at this point in time? <laughs> so uh, we'll start with the Blue Jackets. They they lost 5 to nothing last night that broke their uh, winning streak at 16 games. That winning streak should, for the most part, unless they totally like pull a Montreal Canadiens of a few years ago, or was it last year where they started off with bandits and then just lost a ton and and, and blew it. I don't see that happening for for Columbus, as long as Bob stays healthy. Uh, It would be tough for them to fall off. Because they're, because they're 37 games into the year, it would be really hard to fall off a cliff like one There aren't enough games left, if that makes sense, to see them totally tumble out and, and, and fall behind, you know, that second second wildcard spot and be out of the playoffs. So it would have to be catastrophic. You're right, it would take Bob to... You couldn't ride Curtis McElhaney. Oh, who knows? You can find average sometimes in weird spots. But yes, he, Bob, has been awesome for them. The only problem, if they did find a cold streak, which I'm not predicting, is they're in the wrong division this year. It's it's really tough. There are a lot of good teams in that division that can could make up points, I suppose. It's, it is one of those things where, once again, we're going to be in a position in this division where... Becoming number one in the divisions and then the conference is not going to reward you with anything in regards to an easier first-round opponent. You're going to end up playing somebody else from your own division because there won't be a crossover. Yeah, that's the the weird part of this year. Almost, uh, I We've said it a million times. I hate how they're doing the playoffs now with the divisions, but... It is what it is. So, um, how how did Columbus <coughs> come about this awesome winning streak? Uh, they they were playing tremendous hockey at uh, the beginning of it, and Jesse Marshall, uh, who I follow on Twitter, is a good Penguins follow. Uh, J Marsh, FOF, for his former site Faceoff Factor, he. Um, he put together some rolling average charts, which um, kind of illustrate just how well Columbus was playing at the start of the streak. And he did a five-game average of their Corsi 4 in about November 27th-ish, I believe is when the 
their their winning streak started, right? It's been about a month and some change. But that sounds about right. Uh, <clears throat> they were at like 55% possession, and that stretched all the way to December 15th-ish. Since then, it's actually tanked. It's gone dramatically down. They're around 45% uh, right now towards the end of their streak. So what that tells me, and I did a little digging of my own and came up with a, a rolling average chart for save percentage, Bob's been kicking ass. Is basically so. Not only were they great possession-wise, Bob was playing tremendous. So that you should be winning those kind of games, right? I mean, it's pretty tough to beat a team that's playing well and has a good goalie. Yeah. Um. But Columbus, which many people picked to be at the bottom of the division, that was me, myself included. <laughs> before the streak began, they were hovering at this forty-five percent level. Then, for reasons unbeknownst to me, they're at the 55% level. Now they're back down to 45%, not playing good again. So they struck while the iron was hot, and that's awesome, and it'll probably get them a playoff berth that not many predicted them for. But is this an oasis, a mirage for what's to come? Are they still going to be this team that... <clears throat> rattled off 15 wins in a row i suppose bob could continue to prop them up because he's been outrageously good uh, but if they don't pick up the possession or at least get back to near that 50 percent range it'll be a lot tougher than i think most think um they're currently riding a ridiculously good power play and penalty kill as well so oh, okay that's how that back half of the the back half of the streak, whilst their five on five play wasn't great, their power play was devastating. If you have a look at the scores and a lot of these games that they win, they weren't you know two one wins or something like that. They're often you know four four one wins or five two wins or something like that. And their power play inevitably, I think they were scoring a power play goal almost every game. They were just clicking at such a high percentage and. And it's one of those things where they always say that um, you get to streaks this long, you start playing poorly, and then you get blown out when you do lose. And that's that's basically what happens. So it might be a good chance for them to, to reset and, and actually assess some of the flaws that they've got um, and, and try and correct those. Because whilst Bob's having a, a Vesna quality year... Yes, um, he certainly would, is. Yeah, it would be nice if the team could just you know, help him out a little bit and give him a few less shots. So I did a 10-game rolling average, as I stated before. So he's consistently at even strength at 94% for most of the year on average. He actually had his lowest point November 27th when the streak started for them, but it's also when Columbus picked their play up. And his lowest point, and I put that in quotation marks, his lowest point... <laughs> was league average of about 925. That's his floor this year, is league average. If if they get that from him the rest of the way, it'll be really tough for anyone to catch him in the Metro. League average and, and or bust. what he's been at? Uh, what, he's, what he's been at, right? Yep. So if, if he falls back to league average, they'll definitely make the playoffs, right? That's, that's not a question. The question is, 
him being league average come playoff time, will that be enough for a roster that, you know, prior to this year, I know they made a few changes down the bottom half of the roster, is it really going to be enough? So I know they've got Wierenski as well. It's completely changed the dynamic of how they actually move the puck out of the zone. So it is. it almost feels like it all rolls on Bob. He's obviously a big chunk of it. And if he's playing at 94%, that's a tough cookie to crack, no matter how the <laughs> team in front of him is, is, is playing. So the question is, who are the real Blue Jackets this year? They went hot 55% possession for a while, but the, on the other ends, that's the meat of the season. The meat of the win streak was 55 But the buns, like the hamburger buns, are 45% on each side. What's gonna, how are they going to be clicking towards playoff time? I'm going to be really um, interested what I would do towards the end of the year, and it's what I usually do when I try to make my playoff predictions every year, is take the last 20 games of the regular season What's the score adjusted Fenwick for those teams to see how they're tracking heading into the playoffs? It'll be interesting to see the last 20 games for Columbus. Are they 55% team? I have my doubts about that. I don't think they're that. Are they 45%? That's pretty low when they've shown they can do 55% for a stretch. They can get in that 50%-ish range and Bob plays the way he is. They'll be a tough out. Especially if the power play is doing what you, you've said that they've been doing. Yeah, and look, I, I have a smaller window than you. I literally take it from game 70 and on, as opposed to, you know, 62 and beyond. Game 70 and, and in, and it's like whatever you can give me there is, is pretty much what the teams are taking in for the season. So you go, right, what, what is their Fenwick and what is their Corsi? at 5-on-5 five five and score adjusted at, at, at that point? And you go, all right, these teams are playing well. These teams need to turn it around, and and you base it around that. I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, ran really hot last year into the playoffs and did it for a long time, but that could have all been derailed with five or six bad games at the end of the year and just watched them tumble out. I think that might have been a a little bit of Washington's problem as well. They didn't play particularly fantastic hockey against Philly and then, you know, struggled to get back to what they were good at come – you know, come the Penguins series as well. So it'll, it, you're right. I, I take it from game 70 and, and what we get there with Bob and, and what we get there with, with Columbus's possession is, is going to probably predetermine whether they flop out and flame out or whether Tortorella is considered a coaching genius. <laughs> Let's not get fucking crazy here. Um, Just saying. <laughs> Jesse also had a, a scoring chance percentage chart and it's similar they're they're lower about 45 to 50 percent the first part of the year climbs all the way to 60 even 65 percent during the win streak and and it's back below 50 percent again it's not quite as volatile as the possession like it didn't drop all the way to 45 this time around but it did drop below 50 so they're not playing as well lately no, but you, you, you win, what was it, 16 or 17 games in a row? You're 16. not going to. They did not get to 17. So that's the thing. You don't, you're never going to play as well at the, just not this time of the year. You're not. You're just not going to win that many games in a row and play well in all of them. Something's going to bail you out. Your goalie, your penalty kill, or, or your power play. And if you, if you, 
pushing it up the hill for for five on five possession, then you you know playing with fire really. But all that said, I, it's not. None of what we're saying is meant to demean the winning streak because... Oh, hell no. God, no. That's that was, a brilliant effort. 16 in a row is amazing. We're just trying to figure out what does that winning streak actually mean moving forward for this team, pretender, contender, or in between. And you got to use data and make some educated hypothesis guesses on, on where it goes from here. And um, I don't think they're quite... The 92-93 Penguins, who were a juggernaut. Now I know they lost in round two. But they were an explosive team. That was consistently good. It, it'll be interesting to see how the Columbus fans go. It feels like they've got a little bit of an inferiority complex. Well, they've had a lot of um, rough years. No, I, I fully appreciate that. But as soon as they've got... like As this streak started to extend... Instead of it felt like instead of them enjoying it, they got snarkier and snarkier uh, about the fact that no one was giving them credit when there was articles everywhere about you know player here and player there making this change and that change and Tortorella's a changed coach and all those sorts of things. So there was heaps out there. Yeah, and you know I I do think it's worth saying that the 17 games in 92 93. Is a little bit different than the 16 now because three on three overtime shootouts. There's a definite person or team that gets a win every single game, whereas back then ties were a thing. I was I was curious in regards to how many games in that in this Columbus run were overtime wins or shootout wins, and it doesn't look like they had. Oh, actually, they might have had quite a lot of shootout wins. No, I can, no, I can pull that. Two. They only had two shootout. They only had two shootout wins. But that's a tie. I agree. No, and, and it's one of those things. You, you you get to overtime and three on three is theoretically much easier to score a game winner than a five on five in ninety two ninety three. Yep, they had a three. Um... Three games that went overtime. One overtime win, which, you know. And then, as you said, the two shootouts. Two shootouts, yeah. So the hard thing for Columbus, the hard thing for Columbus now, though, is to pick themselves up off the floor and and dust off the Rangers. Yeah. Because they don't don't need to have a five-game losing streak now. It diminishes what they did, you know. Three divisional games in a row, too. Rangers, Philly, Carolina. Even more important, I didn't realize it was it was three in a row. So let's four because they lost obviously to Washington as well. Ah, good point. And the yeah. next few games, it's three games in four days. Oof. Two of them are home, so that helps. The first two are at home. Then there's a and day off, are, and then they're in Carolina. They are lucky that it's all metro area. The travel's not massive for them, but yes, I know what you're saying. Now. They were chasing the 92-93 Penguins, and that, even though they they were bounced in the second round of the playoffs, that's one of my favorite NHL seasons of all time because <laughs> I personally believe the 90, 1992-93 season by Mario Lemieux 
is the best individual season of all time, and I very much, I don't know too many hockey fans that don't respect that that the year he had that year with. Um, he was on pace to break Wayne Gretzky's individual uh, season records, and then Hodgkins happened, and you didn't know when he was going to come back, and he did come was back. It? Is it fifty four? <laughs> is it fifty four points in seventeen games in that streak? Um, John Tapurzer, who who um, I took over for at Hockey Buzz, had a few tweets about um, just this topic that I uh, retweeted uh, the other day, and I just uh, pulled one of them up. In 92-93, Mario missed two months with cancer and trailed LaFontaine by 12 points with 20 games left. Scored 56 points in last 20 and won Art Ross by 12. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, he he ha- he's having chemotherapy. Pat LaFontaine was having an amazing season by anybody's standards of any era, and he still caught him despite having that deficit after chemotherapy in that small sample size. He had, I think, he had four four plus. I think he had four four goal games in that seventeen game stretch too. And if I'm not mistaken, I think one of them was a five. I don't know if the five goal game at MSG was in that mix that year. Was that the five, five, five wise, was it? No, no, that was in late 80s versus the Devils. Um, There was a game where Mario scored five goals at the Garden against the Rangers, and the Rangers fans gave him a standing ovation. Standing ovation, yeah. I I don't know if that was 92-93 or not. My memory kind of. It all blends together at times with all of Mario's accomplishments during that time it is, frame. It, it is funny how you can't get there and nail down a five-goal game. But here's the crazy part about Mario catching LaFontaine. He didn't just like catch him because LaFontaine stopped producing. Um, John also had a tweet. LaFontaine had 32 points in his last 20 games. <laughs> so Mario lapped a guy that was over a point a game. It was, it was, did you say 56? So that was almost three points a game in the last 20. After chemotherapy. Yeah. Three points a game. Well, that's unthinkable now. And we like, talked a lot every... about the Yager Gretzky thing last podcast and how the arrows and the goalies. Now, the goalies in 92, 93 weren't quite what they are now, but they're a lot better than they were in the 80s. True. So it was. That's um, just, yeah. It was a really cool year, even though it ended prematurely on David Volick's uh, overtime goal. But something could be said about the winning streak. Now, Columbus's winning streak is mid-season. We're at the halfway point, yeah? Yeah. Pittsburgh's, yeah. I, I can Pittsburgh see where kind of rallied for this winning streak like it was a thing that they wanted to do. Like they had their playoff spot obviously locked up towards the end of 92-93, but they pushed towards the record of 17 in a row, but it was at the very end of the regular season. There's arguments to be had that maybe they extended themselves a little bit much before the playoffs and made themselves susceptible to losing to, you know, who could be considered the underdog Islanders. May have been a detriment to them. It would be an interesting question to ask all the players and the coaching staff if it affected them, like in hindsight, like, well, what are we? We're past 20 years on looking at that now. So it would be interesting to know if they'd be a little honest with themselves and think about it. 
think there's been a few specials I think I've caught where where they've they've raised that question. You know. I think having a win streak like this at this time of the year for Columbus is perfect. Yeah, well they need it. They need to make the playoffs. They're they're not a guaranteed top level team and we we've discussed at length today about why why that is. It's just exactly from what you said in regards to Pittsburgh having a little drop-off at the wrong time of the year when they did their 17-93, Columbus have a chance to to level out over the next 10 games. You know, they'll be bad for a few now because the the mental drive to keep the streak going is gone, and they will will get a chance to be bad for a bit. It won't cost them severely, and I I can't really see them tailspinning into a long losing streak, so... You know, they might go 500 the rest of the year, and that'll get them in. Um, another tweet about that Mario stuff came from Aaron Portsline, who who covers the Blue Jackets. Obviously, you know, they were chasing the Penguins, so their, their um, main beat writer was looking into some of the intricacies of the Penguins' streak. And Lemieux was one week back from cancer treatment during that streak, and he had 27 goals, 23 assists for 50 points during those 17 games during the winning streak. Pittsburgh scored 98 goals during that winning streak, which was 5.8 goals per game. That's brutal. <laughs> it's absurd. You do, it's funny, you know, we get nostalgic sometimes and say bring back, you know, early 90s hockey or late 80s hockey. And I look at that particular team, the way it was constructed, and you can't construct a team like that anymore. Oh, you mean Mario and Yager and their prime? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of tough just, to do that. You you can't – the salary cap just doesn't allow you to do it. You, just, you, you physically can't have teams like that anymore. And, you know, you, you look at the Oilers and the Islanders as well. You can't construct teams like that well, to, the cap. to make it run through. It's not usual you have the number one and number two player of all time. On the same team. And yes, I did say that. We have a whole podcast about it last week. You can, you can look <laughs> that up. Well, they've got two of the top five going around at the moment. Oh, yeah. I um, Podcast friend Micah tweeted out the uh, his updated... Um, he does primary points where he kind of... He does the, the, he does secondary the, he, he the noise. I love the noise. <laughs> You know, some noise is valid, but I get why he does it. But looky there, Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin, number one and number two in primary points this year. Where's Kessel? Is he in that table? He is. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He's 13th. He's tied with Pavelski and Panarin. So good company for him as well. Connor McDavid is actually... Seventh. He but was he had, leading that for a while. He's in a little bit of a foot patch. Yeah, but I saw a highlight. I don't know if it was an updated one where he blew through the neutral zone, kicked it off his foot, and then sauced a backhand over for a goal. Unreal. <laughs> I think that oh, was yeah, a recent yeah, yeah. highlight. Yeah. It, it's was it? Do you know the play that, I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And it's, it's one of those <sighs> things where that Edmonton team can't afford for him to have too many five-game flat patches the rest of the way because that team's not good enough to get in there without him carrying them. Just like the um, 05-06 Penguins, 06, actually 06-07, 07-08 Penguins before they were good 
possession team. If Sid and Gino and, and Flurry, for the most part, that, that was when Flurry was at his apex. Those three guys weren't doing it. It wasn't happening. No, exactly. But they did do it, and it did happen. Yeah. So, no, it's, you know, selfishly speaking, I, I love seeing Sid and Gino back up at the top of the league because, um, well, Sid's always kind of been there. He's never really lost his luster. But the last few years, Evgeny Malkin has kind of been the forgotten superstar of this league where people kind of just glossed him over because he had a, he had some injuries. And he's not dropped off in his caliber of play. He still kicks ass, and I'm glad to see him get some tangible rewards. Once again, he's been healthy. I mean, he he does so many things out there, and if you follow the microstats, and I'm working on uh, bugging Ryan Stimson to get some Malkin microstats, because I guarantee his controlled exits and entries are absurd. It's... He it's creates funny. so much. You know, you know, you talk about the last three or four years with Geno where he's been injured. For me, it's not so much that he misses games. It's that he comes back. He was coming back too early. But you could tell he was playing hurt in certain situations and stuff like that. And and you give him credit because, you know, like I have to admit, like a lot of hockey players, and I, I do pick on them for doing this, they play hurt and then they don't complain about the fact that they're hurt and they don't make excuses for it. But he's definitely been at a detriment to himself for playing injured as much as he has. I forget last year. It was actually against Columbus where he took that it hit was. from Prout. Whether it yep. was elbow or wrist or forearm. Like that that lingered the rest of the year. Yeah. And he still I mean, he... was an animal in the playoffs. Like Phil and, and Sid. Uh, Sid won the con Smythe. I still have questions about that. I think it probably should have went to Phil's way. Yep. I don't know anybody that I listen to on a podcast or talk to about hockey. That was a career award for for Sid. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to begrudge it, but his uh, even strength scoring was not at the level of what I would consider a a Conn Smythe winner. But Sid took the heavy assignments, which allowed Kessel to thrive. So if you wanted to take it from that perspective, maybe. Yeah, but now now it sounds like you've... clutching its straws to come up with reasons why it should have it, and doesn't feel like it's an award that should be awarded under that premise. Correct, but it got awarded. I'm not going to hate on him for it. You know, uh, No. <laughs> it was a career achievement kind of thing, kind of like that Drew Doughty Norris. Drew Doughty Achievement Award, yeah. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call him now? I am now, so I think it might be the Brent Burns Achievement Award this year as well. Well, he may earn it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, he's he's sharks got to sign that man, or did they? They did. They signed him to forever. Oh, for God. a lot. That's a, that's a good risk reward. You 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 take that risk. Yeah, so that was a good yeah, good move by them. I knew I had heard rumblings of it. I've been checked out of hockey for the last week or so. They um, apparently there are bye weeks this year that I was not prepared for. Uh, I was, as a no, writer, I, I, I was not very pleased to find that the bye week coincided with when I got back from my New York City trip, and I just was not mentally prepared for it. <laughs> and um, so the Penguins have been off a week, which I think is, I think one of the big things that we're coming to find out with athletics, especially at the top levels, is that rest 
has huge amounts of value rather than practicing them hard um, all the time. And I think while this bye week is annoying for writers and fans, it's a great thing for the players. Now, I, like, we obviously know Pittsburgh's having their bye week now. Is every is there another team having a bye week at the moment? <laughs> As I said, I've been checked out. No, I, I yeah, don't okay. know. Um, so that's question, a great question. question. Like the NFL the has asking, four bye week teams at a time. Usually, yeah. So I whoever, whoever are the last group of teams that get their bye week, it'd be really interesting to see the timing of these bye weeks. Whether teams come out of them rejuvenated, or whether teams come out of them slow, or or if teams go into the breaks with, with you know playing great, then come out of them badly. So. The, the bye week is, you're exactly right. It's essential, I think, for top-end athletes to get the time off. You're right. You can see it when teams play rested against when they play the night before. You can see all of those things when it comes down to um, how it affects results. It'll be interesting to see how they go with clumps of time off, then getting back into it, and then being able to continue to be successful across the league. Because, like you said, these bye weeks are, are, are splintered throughout the rest of the you know, probably the next month or so, aren't they? It seems that they're all in January, February, so there has to be some overlap. Like, and they're not all equal. Penguins have January one through seven off, while the um, rain, or the Islanders have January one through five off. I found this on Reddit I, just now. So, I, what I don't understand. I get why the NFL schedule is the way it is, right? It's 16, what was it, 16 or 18 rounds of football and it's done. I don't understand how they get something that disparately inconsistent. So Rangers and Leafs both have January 8 through 12 off. So there is overlap to answer your question. That's, that's still only... Eight to twelve is only like five days. I think the reason the Penguins is longer is because New Year's Day, maybe. I, I don't know. There's as well times. They played. They played New Year's Eve, and then hey, oh, we got a week off. Yeah, not 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 only that, though, that's brilliant for the players. But in regards to the the roster itself, it's like Latin came back for one game, then got more time off, which is which is good. Um, Doomland's obviously recovering from a, a busted jaw, so that's uh, less games without Doomland. Uh, Matt Murray's still going to try and come back, so you know it, it just allows players time to, to rest up and get healthy. Yeah, for the Penguins, yeah, for the, the Latang thing is is a big thing. He he needs to get healthy. They did well without him. I'm super impressed that they were able to stay afloat the way they did without him. Years past, well, it's helps. been a true struggle. It helps when somebody plays uh, out of their skin and to the potential that they got drafted on. And Pittsburgh sent down a few guys for um, during the break so that were eligible to go back to Wilkes-Barre and called up Tristan Jari and Chad Ruedel today. So Matt Murray's you know, probably going to miss a little bit more time. Hey, as long as he's back for enough time for him to get into form for the latter half of the year, I'm fine. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if Jari plays, because last time Murray was out, Fleury literally played every game. And they'll probably do that again to him. 
knowing that Murray's the starter. They showed that they it wasn't one A one B anymore, even though Flurry um, has been playing better recently. Yeah, he's had an uptick. He needs to keep that going. But I don't think the uptick's necessarily going to earn him many more games. I don't think they're going to no. be doing the split thing much anymore. So nope. with that in mind, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if Jari actually saw any action outside of, you know, well, maybe, uh, maybe Flurry has a real off night and they pull him or something. Yeah. So. Um, look, the, the best thing in this situation right now is Flurry plays out of his skin and they find somebody that's happy to take him on under that and he says yes. No, I don't, I don't think they're going to move him before the deadline. They need that cap space for another defenseman. Where are they going to get it, though, during the year? Freaking Winnipeg. I know, it's a Truba thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's probably going to be an off-season move. Well, it has to be, because you're not going to lose Murray. Because if Murray's... I don't, I don't think that no-movement clause is going to be an issue. I think he'll waive it. He's not going to want to stay and not be a starter. That's my personal yeah, I, opinion. Yeah, I can't see you. you I can see him trouble. waving the no movement clause, and if Las Vegas takes him, they take him. If not, then they figure out a trade another way. But I'd, I'd be floored if if Flurry was on the 2017-18 Penguins roster. I just don't see how it makes sense. Yeah, totally agree. And I don't think it'll happen. It's just I also don't think I don't think Murray's going to be in trouble of being exposed to that expansion draft. So oh, you'd be silly if if it would be negligent if he was. To be it honest, it would be a fireable offense, maybe. Yeah. Even, even with the good that Rutherford did last year, to to. To lose an asset like Murray for nothing, which that's not going to happen. So I don't know. I, yeah. I don't think we need to speculate more on that. That's just not going to happen. So now, all that said, what did I say we were going to talk about earlier? I think snapshots throughout the uh, throughout the NHL. Are they snapshots or are they hot takes? Which one are we aiming for here? What do our listeners want? Hot takes, probably. Probably column B? Yeah. All right, hot takes. Here we go. So, want to start in the East? Why not? We do every other thing in the East first. (laughs) (laughs) East Coast bias. So, Atlantic Division. Montreal having a great year. They got a plus 29 goal differential. I have no concerns about them making the playoffs. Carry prices in that. Boom, they're pretty good. Ottawa's in second place, and they have a minus four goal differential. So they're at 44 points. Boston's at 44 points, also with a negative goal differential of three. And then Toronto's sitting there with 42 points, only basically a one win behind. As with Tampa. With games in in hand as well. Significant games in hand on Boston. Four games in hand, no less. Boston have played a lot of games. This is the thing, like, Boston are currently trending in the wrong direction with, with how they're playing. They're like 4-5-1. or one. They've not been playing great. Tuca hasn't been awesome, like they need him to be. And 
they just it just feels like they're turning the wrong way. Don't forget, Ottawa are doing this without Craig Anderson in net. Mike yeah, Condon's been, been starting their game. You're right, but they are a negative goal differential team. Um, and if I pull up their possession numbers, they're 23rd. Ottawa's 23rd, 47.8. It's not great. No, it feels like they're winning games 2-1 and then losing games 2-5. That's where the negative differential comes in. Because they've got a positive record. Clearly, they're in second. I think they can be caught. And I like Toronto a lot because Toronto... Mike Babcock's doing a very nice job of letting them play. Letting the skilled guys just, hey, go and make plays. Yeah, we know sometimes that's going to open us up for uh, maybe some not great things. But Frederick Anderson, after a poor start, I think he's been playing well. The only thing that might keep Toronto out is the inability to keep a lead once obtained. They've burnt so many third-period leads this year. They've thrown points away. Technically, they should be in third spot or second spot in that Atlantic because it is it is Montreal and everybody else in, in, in that division. So if they can learn how to do that over the next 20 games, then, yeah, I, I, I can't see Toronto missing, really, besides, obviously, an injury. But um, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if, by the end of the year, Toronto's in, Boston's out, and the only thing that's going to stop me with Tampa is their health. Because they've not been great lately. No, when we talked about Tampa, kind of, they're in a weird spot. And no Stamkos, so obviously, to, isn't helping. Do they have a return date for Stamma? Wasn't it like a three-month thing? Oh, and this is why I'm asking the question. I honestly can't. You're right. This week off has totally thrown my... You know, radar for what else is going on around the league. That's terrible. I think Detroit, I, I would write them off. Their playoff streak. See yeah, I can't see that getting caught. Uh, the Fancy Cats. Their last 10 games, they're 3, 3, and 4. So it's 10 points out of a possible 20. That's that's not a good way of um, creeping back in. They're four points back of the third-place Boston Bruins. But again, two games less played than Boston. This is this is the thing. Until everybody sort of washes out and, and it gets to the same games played, and I'll probably bring this up with Chicago, um, the, the standings look a little bit skewed. And, and until everyone sort of catches up after the bye weeks, I'm assuming yeah, everyone... Yeah, the bye weeks are going to throw, like, a lot of misperception out there. Like, yeah. Pittsburgh's been off. And they're tied with the Rangers, but three less games right now. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. Like, Columbus has games in hand on almost every team. Like, you know, they've this is the thing. Like, their bye week must be so like They must be so late for their bye week. To, to roll that out. I, I can find that out for you right now. February 20 to 24. Yeah, so they've got the last lot, I'm assuming, with that. So, um, you know, because the Islanders have only played 36 games. So if they play, say they went on a five-game win streak, suddenly they're at 41 points, which would which would put them right up there with 
with Tampa. You but know? that doesn't matter. They're chasing Philly and Washington for the wild card. No, I, I realize. I that's realize that's that. the and problem they, with the Metro teams that are trying to catch up. The, that whole Atlantic conversation we've been having was talking about catching third place in the Atlantic. Yeah, I've been ignoring the wild card because Washington's at 53 points. They're taking a division spot or a wild card spot. In the Rangers, if they're the ones that drop down, they're taking the top wild card spot. Philly, 40 games played, 45 points. The Atlantic, you better be in the top three. Well, you see, this is the thing. This is exactly like if Toronto win their next three games, they could end up in front of Philly. Yes. They'll be in front of Philly. They'll be in front of. Oh, actually, no, you're right. They'll get in front of Boston before they get in front of Philly. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I gotcha. But even Carolina, who um, we haven't really been talking too much at all about this year, they're only at 38 games played at 41 points. You know, they win two games. They're at 45 with Philly. I've gone out of my way to watch a few Carolina games because, you know, I'm a big fan of Jordan Stahl. And (laughs) just I like the way that they play their their hockey at the moment. And it it really... Their results live and die on which version of Cam Ward do they get I every can't, night. I can't believe they still attach their wagon to that. It's, they're, it's, they're, 28th, it's just, they're 28th in the league in even strength save percentage at 90.8. If they had average goaltending, they'd probably be in a playoff spot because they're 13th overall in possession at 51.3. They're not a terrible team anymore, but they have dog shit goaltending. It's a shame. It's a shame. Because they've constructed... They've done the fancy cats quietly. <laughs> yeah, without a little bit of... A lot of... Much less drama. Yeah. So... I do think they're doing some behind-the-scenes stuff with that. Uh, Eric Tolsky, obviously, being there. is a big part of that. I think Ron Francis seems open-minded to a lot of it as well. So, they're quietly kind of there. But again, you got a three-point system in this league where people get loser points, and it's tough to make up points. It just baffles me that you get a point for losing. It should be a 3-2-1 system. That's Yeah, we've gone that, over this. That it is the only way. It, it's asinine that one game can be worth three points and then another game um, can be only worth two points. How the fuck does that make sense? It creates artificial parity. That's why they've done it. But it doesn't. It doesn't reward. That's what it is. That's basically what they're doing. Yeah, that's a good point. It's ridiculous. So, so you know how you said you can write off Detroit, right? I think so. Can you write off Detroit to the point that they tail right out and get a top five draft pick? I don't think they're going to be trying to do that. It would have to take some really a lot of things going for that to happen. But they should. 24th in possession. At what point does Ken Holland put people on the shelf? And that's when you know that they've given up on it. I don't think he will. I think he'll fight to the bitter end. Correct. And I think that for a franchise moving into a new arena, that would be silly. That's another part of the dynamic that it's, you know, that's 
good on you for pointing that out. I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. They're going to want to be competitive even though their roster's not set up to... They've made some bad moves, and they're going to have a rough... Uh... They're going to be stuck in mediocrity for, for a little bit. Like, the more they try hard to win now, it's just going to be mediocre. You really do have to peak and trough your franchise, don't you? You, with you the, have with to, the way it's set up now, yeah. Yeah, like like obviously at some point when when Malkin and Crosby and, and Kessel and, and Latang are gone, or when they break sort of all of that up, like they're gonna have a they're gonna have a bit of a crash. And that could be quite some time before that happens. But Pittsburgh need to just burn it down when that happens, and then build the build up from the rubble. It sucks that you have to go through those extremes, but a lot of it has to do with the uh, RFA system. The only way to acquire quality young players is to draft them. And then you have control over them, and they're barely ever traded, or you certainly can't... <laughs> offer sheets aren't a thing, so... No, that's a good point. That, that's why you got to tank, and it sucks. It's not good for fans. But it's tactically what <laughs> you have to do. So... Um, with that said, shifting to the West. I don't think Chicago. I think Chicago will end up in a wild card spot, to be honest. Okay. Who's um, who's bumping them? Because they're in first right now. They are. Um, like Mini will get in front of them, and I think St. Louis will get in front of them. I don't think they will. Mini might. Mini has a plus 38 goal differential, and Devin Dubnik should be... There's no considered for the heart, maybe even. That's Actually, you know what? I hadn't thought of it that far ahead. Could you give the Could you give it to goalie Bob and then give him the heart, or would that just be stupid? You'd have to give him both, wouldn't you, if you were doing it? Yeah, I mean, Price won them both. Just seems to me if you get given the heart, you have to be get given the Vesna, more so. I would like it if the, you won the heart. You, well, I don't know. You'd like to get more people in the ward, I suppose. But, yeah, I guess I guess if you're the most valuable in the league, you're, you're also the Vesna by default. But, yeah, that's kind of how I was thinking about it. It's difficult to sort of... But two different that. factions vote on the award. The GMs vote on the Vesna, or writers oh, okay. vote so on they the could heart. Be, yeah, okay. If you do look at it in that sense, then, yeah, it, it could be split. But... Um, I, I just don't see St. Louis taking Chicago over because, yeah, Chicago or St. Louis has two games in hand on Chicago, but there's a 45 point to 53 point differential. That's tough to make up. I just, I just don't see that Chicago team being. I'm actually very surprised that they're this good for this long this year. Oh, they've done well, better than what Corey, we thought. Corey Crawford is is. Has carried them a long way through some rough patches, particularly when when Captain Canada was was missing for a while. And um, best player of all been, time, Jonathan Taves. Yeah, for those that didn't know, and, and it's it is one of those things where you sort of look at it and go, "All right, their possession's not great, and they're getting by on their top end talent playing like the top end talent they're paying them." They, for, they so. remind me a little bit of the 0708 Penguins. Where Sid Gino and Flurry carried the load, 
Taves, Kane, Anisimov, and Panarin. And wouldn't you know it, Corey Crawford, not only Crawford, but Darling as well, they're the number one goaltending team in the NHL. They have, as a team, a 94.3% even strength save percentage. Wow, that's incredible. Well, it has like, to that's be their average. Their, their penalty kill is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, brought up at the beginning of the year. That has, is that still the case? Oh, it's disgraceful. So, I, I can't understand. They've got so many smart players out there, how they can't work that out. And, and even with Taves now back in the lineup, it hasn't exactly improved either. So, I don't know if they've had a change of coach at the assistant coach level and they've, he's changed the way they go about their penalty kill. But they do need to sort that out if they're going to be competitive in the playoffs. Here's how fickle goaltending is. I just said they're 94.3%. At even strength, leading the NHL, the Chicago Blackhawks are 29th overall, 82.6% shorthanded. Yeah. And to be honest, a lot of it's not the goalie's fault. A lot of cross-seam passes are getting through their their, their four players. I can't remember whether they're playing a box or a diamond. Well, that but... all depends on what the other team's running. I mean, if the other team's running an overload, you, you box it up. If the other team's... Most most power plays these days start in an overload and morph into an umbrella. And once you're in the umbrella, it makes more sense for the PK unit to, to get in their diamond. They're not rotating at all well at the moment. Okay. And, and, and that may be valid. I have not studied yeah. their, their penalty kill. But if they're not <coughs> making the proper shift from box to diamond or, or vice versa, yeah, you're going to get east-west lanes and that's going to kill your goalie. So, Chicago has as many warts on them as they've had in a while, though. Oh, it's just it's it's the nature of being good, isn't it? It just it gets harder and harder every year. You got to pay people money, and if you and they, pay people, if you pay the wrong people, <coughs> Brent Seabrook, um, you get into these these cap crunches that you end up in. Yeah, that contract's gonna kill him. Panarin just got the six mil for two more years. That's. That's going to say great contract. That's a great yeah. contract. Even though they've been getting him for peanuts, he's a star player in this league now, and that's not really debatable. And no, six no, million's no. a fair price. He could get more from someone else. Oh yeah. But as much as we were wrong about Columbus, I'd like to tip my hat on Minnesota. <laughs> Brucey Bruce. Gabby, Gabby, Gabby has finally gotten a team with goaltending, consistent goaltending, which is dangerous because usually he gets his teams to um, play quite well. It's funny. He's doing it without any superstar on that on that team. Everybody is past their prime that you would consider a superstar previously on that team. You look at... You look at Sudi, you, you look at, at, at Parisi, you, you look at Stahl. None of the younger guys that they've got have really pushed up to... Yeah, Nino's to great, take... but he's not quite superstar, obviously. No, no they but have Dubnik a good is... foundation at defense. And then... Dubnik is their star, that's the thing. Dubnik's their guy. Yeah, 
it's um they're definitely in win now and it's not like a great win now but i think hiring bruce is the best thing they could have done for what situation they're in yeah it's like it was a nice gift bro. anaheim gave him yeah <laughs> good point actually but like <clears throat> that expansion draft they are one of the more uh, when i went through my little series in august they're one of the more susceptible teams to losing a good player. Because you're either protecting seven forwards and three defensemen, which, you know, they have a good core of defensemen. Suter, Spurgeon, Brody, and Scandella, Dumba. You're going to lose one of those defensemen. Lose Scandella. Maybe so. But losing for nothing, that sucks. Yes. Or you protect... You go uh, four and four, and what I saw with that was you're probably going to lose Coyle, who's actually had a very nice year for them, or Granlund, who who I also tend to appreciate. You know Coyle was a part of the Burns trade? <laughs> well, at least I got something for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Coyle's at 1.9 points per 60 at even strength this year. Granlin's at one point exactly at the same mark. If they go 4-4 four and four with the protection, they're going to lose one of them. And then Jason Zucker out of nowhere, he's at 3.03 in 37 games. Actually, Nino's at 2.56. They got guys doing it. And it's funny how they weren't doing it the year before. Bruce is good. Coaching so hard to quantify. It is. It really is. But Boudreaux's tra- track record speaks for itself. He does get a lot out of his players. And a lot of the playoff fizzles have been goaltender related. And what what do you want the coach to do about that? Well, Some years Bruce one... has done a disservice to himself by flip-flopping between the starters within a series too frequently yeah i remember uh during the penguins first cup run of this era uh he had barley was playing really good for him and then he you know didn't he flip back and forth between him and uh geez i can't even remember who the other guy they had it was jose theodore he didn't flip back and forwards basically barley played the whole series until pittsburgh tore him apart in game okay. seven but for the Ducks, he he flipped Anderson and Gibson but that's quite the frequently. Thing is, though, he he didn't flip in in Washington and got burnt. You know, in in, in a game seven, Varley just didn't play great because there were a few goals there he should have stopped. Then he does flip and flop in Anaheim, and he still can't win. So he's had know. bad luck in game sevens with goaltending. That I know. Oh, he has. He has. But I look at Miko Koivu. He's only at 1.59 points per 68 even strength now. He's on the tail end of uh, his career. Pominville's 1.50. He used to be a really solid producer of points. Eric Stahl's been the nice uh, surprise there, 1.85, producing again at a top six level. That was a really nice signing for them. I kind of did. Uh, Carolina was a wasteland for offensive opportunity with the roster that they've had the last few years. Eric was kind of on an island. You know, their forwards are you know, underwhelming. I get, I get what you're saying. 
in my opinion. Their forwards are very underwhelming. This year they've been a little bit better because um, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. The Sebastian Aho, Aho, Aho. He's he's been a nice um, Teravinen. Guys like that that have been added this year. Lee Stepniak is a nice depth. Lindholm when he's healthy. So it's gotten better. Skinner's kind of playing better again. Stahl had a concussion, and now they got him on the third line again. Boy, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you think Jordan Stahl regrets signing that contract in Carolina? Because his quality (laughs) of teammate has been shit his entire tenure with them. Well, the other thing on top of that is, like, his brother bailed. You know? Well, I know that was the big part. But yeah, that sucks too. So, um, so Nashville, they're at 38 games played, 41 points, one point behind the Los Angeles Kings for a wild card, and four points behind the Blues for a divisional spot. I had them winning the division. That's probably not going to happen. But I do think they're well within the playoff picture still. My my thoughts with Nashville in regards to their ability to, to maybe win it all, which is what I think you and I both thought was very possible at the start of the year, for me with Nashville, it comes down to those last 12 games. If they're healthy and, and they've got Subban back and playing well, I think they'll go deep in the playoffs. So I still think they'll make the playoffs. Um, but in regards to whether they'll push for a crack at the cup, will come down to the last will come down to their last, you know, 12 games. And the thing that's funny is the one thing I thought might be an Achilles heel for them, he's yeah. actually played quite well. Yeah, they're eighth in the league in goaltending. So the the Rene thing, which I thought was going to be, like, the bad part, as you just said, has not been the bad part. No. But I think Nashville will make it. They're um, still a top-10 the, possession team, too. So yeah, it's weird. They're just, Maybe they're not being rewarded. Forsberg is their problem in that he's not getting rewarded. James Neal's not quite getting rewarded like he has in, in seasons past. Like, there, there have been a lot of times where people have just said, you know, Forsberg is just snake-bitten. A lot of their offense goes through him, and when he's not scoring, Johansson's not getting points because Johansson doesn't shoot enough. Johansson has been an issue. Not so much, I, I agree, goal-scoring front, Forsberg is down. But he is leading the team in points per 60, 2.16. That's top-line level. James Neal, however, 1.65, that's third-line level. And even worse, Ryan Johansson, who I think is a fine player, 1.48 points per 60. That's not cutting it, man. you got to be better. Well, he needs to shoot more then. That's the reality because he's, he's passing it off and, and people aren't finishing his work. So Maybe so, has, but his track record has, speaks to him being gifted. Yeah, he has to take more responsibility and either – create easier goals for his teammates or start shooting it more himself. Because, yeah, you're right. They're not going to go very far if he's playing like that. For, for all the hoopla about Shea Weber's year this year, his points per 60 is uh, 0.69. And in Nashville, PK so far this year is 0.99. He's got to get healthy, though, right now. But... You know, I think the general perception, oh, my, uh, Montreal definitely won the trade in year one, and it's like, well, P.K. Subban's having a nice year himself. Yeah, but it, it, 
we said it's it not at going... PK's ceiling, but that doesn't mean it's not online with what they were getting from Shea. It was always going to be this way with the with know, that trade and and with the Larson Hall thing. It, it was always going to be like this, and it's the stupid thing about it. I think no, most there's, people, no, there's well, no debating Larson Hall. That that was complete dog shit, short and long term for the Oilers. At least the Canadians are getting maybe a few years of Shea Weber being uh, a pretty good still. So do you, all right, so you've got Calgary in LA in the wildcards at the moment. Calgary, think, another one of my uh, preseason. Yeah, games. but the goalie that's carrying him isn't the one we both thought. No, I still like the trade for Elliott. They didn't spend a ton for it. Oh, it, it no, 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 no. He, you're right you though. He's yeah, he's been that trade. He's been not not great, and it's been Chad Johnson who stepped up to the plate for them, which is great. And they got some really cool younger players there. They got a good defense core. Uh, if they could stop being silly and having Dougie Hamilton and trade rumors, because he's having a hell of a year, in my opinion. Yep. You know, maybe maybe they need Mark Andre Fleury for Dougie Hamilton. I don't know. <laughs> no. Mine kidding is, aside, Hamilton. What a stupid trade like that. Do you think Calgary constructed as is will get in front of Edmonton? <laughs> I mean. Dougie Hamilton, 1.45 points per 60 as a defenseman. That's awesome. That's almost like third-line level forward production. Trading, trading though, because he doesn't use his size like a big old Canadian boy. Right. I mean, God, some of this stuff is just so stupid. Even though... Uh, yeah, you know, so so much of it's dumb. He's the third best possession guy on their team, 54.3% Corsi 4. He's producing like a top nine forward on offense, and he's the third best possession guy on the team. Yeah. And Matt, Matthew Kachuk is their top possession guy. Usually younger guys, it takes a little bit to get um, on that side of things. What a great addition for them to have him step up and, and be a producer. He was a... It was a big debate whether he'd stay with the team or not as well. So it is nice when they keep keep the player and it, it pans out for them. You know, Pittsburgh were lucky with Jordan Stahl. Um, so hopefully this keeps going like that for, for Kachuk. So Kachuk is first in possession on the team, second in points per 60 at even strength. Care to wager a guess who's number one on uh, points per 60 for Calgary? And this may sting the Oilers. They had Who's him. that? Chris Versteeg. Oh, Verste- I forgot he went there. I yeah. kept thinking he was Carolina. <laughs> so two guys that were not on their roster last year. One, in-house, good draft selection. Two, nice free agent acquisition. at a, um, can't remember what they got him for, but I can't imagine it was uh, too much. Versteeg. Yeah, 950,000. He's leading your team in points per 60. That's awesome. That's that. This is this. This is a really good example, like the Vestie thing, of where advanced stats and all that sort of stuff, whatever you want to term them, help you at the fringes to get production like that at that small pinch of the salary cap is where your team makes advances. And this is you can get there and point at, at Chad Johnson, but I don't think he's giving uh, much more than above average or just average goaltending in the league. So it's not like they're getting extra special service from their, their netminder. 
these are the areas where your team improves, are the fringes. Yep, agreed. So, LA's been weird. I don't think they're where they've been in the last few years. They're still having trouble scoring goals. That's That's been a thing for them for a while. But they're still second understand. in possession in the league, so it's... I can't understand how, with some of the talent up front, I mean, Jeff Carter's putting the puck in the net, no worries, but I can't understand how they struggle so much to put the puck in the net with the talent that had his past Is there years. a lot of, like, yeah. offensive talent on that team, though? There's good players that do good things defensively that help. They're more of a defensive team that drives possession. One of the rare teams that can do that. But So they, they, they're driving possession by having the puck as opposed to having the other team have the puck. I, I think they're, if I'm correct, I've, I've in the past, some people have written articles about their microstats where they actually dump the puck in a lot, which doesn't lead to many offensive chances. We know that controlled entries lead to, to more offense. Yes. Yeah, but they don't but need the interest on the flip side, they are one of the best teams at not allowing those controlled entries. So that's kind of where the possession thing's going their way. But they're also not generating much because they're a dump-in team. And here's the problem. Jeff Carter, as you mentioned, is having a wonderful season. Nice um, year by him. 2.31 points per 60. That's really good. Second place on the team is Tanner Pearson at 1.47. Geez, that's a massive drop-off. He's second on the team, and everybody down forward, actually everybody on the team, is playing at a bottom six level offensively. Even Anzi. Yeah, he's at, one, oh boy, 1.19 is fourth line level stuff. Tyler Toffoli, 1.33, fourth line level stuff. Very weird to see. Especially Kopitar. I mean, he's a wonderful player, but he's not having a great year offensively. Yet they're still in the playoffs. Because they do a good job of defending the, the, the controlled entries. There are so many different ways to skin a winning cat, aren't there? Yeah, but I don't like the way they're doing it. I hate I hate watching LA games. I, I was going to say, for oh. entertainment purposes, like I just... I'll tell you what, though, if Gary Thorne's doing the game because he's filling in for, um, oh, shoot, is it Bob Miller? I think so. Uh, yeah, I'll watch the game because nostalgia, I can't, uh, I'm not strong enough to avoid a, a Gary Thorne called hockey game at this stage of my life. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> su- I'll suck it up and I'll, I'll watch the Kings, I guess. But yeah, they, they suck as an entertainment product. They, they really do. Like, I, I, get, I get why Kings fans are on board because they win. But there is no entertainment value in, in, in how they – and maybe I'm biased because I obviously like the style of play that Penguins have played in, you know, a lot over the last 25 years. But, well, they've um, had some pretty special players, but yeah. Yeah, which has helped. But, yeah, the, the type of game that, the, that their coach wants them to play is just not fun to watch as a fan. And um, as soon as they start losing – like, if they – get bumped from the playoffs again this year like like did last. Could you see a change anywhere with that regime? Pardon? If if they get bumped like they did against San Jose in the playoffs last year, if that happens to them again this year, or they miss, which is, you know, definitely a possibility with the way the standings are in the West, do you reckon they'd go for a regime change? 
like coaching. Coaching? I don't know how that helps. I think Sutter gets a lot out of what he has there. I think that we, if you've listened to, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know our <laughs> thoughts on uh, Dean Lombardi. So I, I would change Lombardi before Sutter. No, I, I agree. Hey, guess what? Vancouver are only a point out of a playoff spot right now. And they have a minus 16 goal differential. They're crap. Hey, they've won five in a row. Seven, two, and one in the last ten. Great. <laughs> 25th in possession. These are the runs that make general managers do stupid things at the wrong time of the year. Yes, and, and... sir. Yes, sir. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Goaltending's 19th in the league. I mean... I hate that team for now, for the future. <laughs> um, it's, it's a real shit spot they're in. I don't put it this way. They make the playoffs. They ain't making no noise. But you got a team like Winnipeg. That's right there. Dallas is right there. That's the thing with the West right now. I'm counting the Kings, the Predators, the Canucks, the Jets, and the Dallas Stars all have between 40 and 42 points. There's only two teams out of the playoffs in the West, and it's one team that's intentionally tanking, and the other one I think's just worked out they probably should intentionally tank. Well, we've spoken a lot about Colorado, and um, you start to hear rumblings about Landis Cog's name being on the trade market and stuff like that, and how <laughs> Sackick wishes he could have a redo over the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Well, no shit. <laughs> they need to remove Joe Sackick and whoever else is part of the decision-making process and say, thank you, but we're moving in a different direction. What makes it extremely tough is when you hire former legends in these positions, you have to play the, the PR game. You don't want to sour the future with this player because Joe Sackick is a legend. He should be... Uh, you know, revered as an avalanche yes, player. Absolutely. However, as an executive, he's done a bad job. Talk to the Edmonton Oilers. Correct. And they have a minus 52 goal differential. <laughs> blow, blow That's up. shitty for a whole year. But they're 29th in possession. Only Arizona's worse. There's still a complete tire fire. But what's blowing it up going to do? You're going to trade Duchesne, Mc, McKinnon, and uh, Landis Cog only to what? Try to find the next Duchesne, McKinnon, and Landis Cog? Or Barry? And, you know, the guy that's supposed to They don't have to blow it up. Here's the beautiful part. They're playing so shitty. They're going to actually, they don't have to blow it up the good players because they're still going to get a great draft pick, even with those good players. So why not get a new guy in there? Somebody that doesn't hate uh, using analytical research and try to get fringe players like the Versteegs that you talked about. Or um, I know Travis Yost was big on uh, Nashville, uh, Matt Irwin. Matt Irwin's having a wonderful year for Nashville, and he makes 
peanuts. You start getting those players in there. Matt Irwin makes $575,000, for example. Holy smokes. Is that the minimum? It's pretty close to the minimum, if not the minimum. And I I want to say he's he's really good on the possession front for them. Yeah, he's 53.6. So if you can find guys like that, instead of overpaying for Boschemans and, and players of that nature that are past their prime and cost a lot of money, um, Feder Tutin, again, well, he's going to be traded. But yeah, similar idea. <clears throat> Blake Como, who came off a career year, who they completely ignored quality of teammate, was Evgeny fucking Malkin. <laughs> like a Carl Soderberg for almost $5 million for the next three years past this year. Like, they don't need to blow it up. They need to blow up the front office and then, you know, trim the fat. Because they have some really good players there. But, man, it's just... And they're going to get another great player in the draft if they stay the course. They've just got to swallow it, don't they, really? That's the that's the thing. You, you get into a situation like this and you just have to go, right, we're toast. Let's just play the year out and, and go from there. I don't think hockey's ever going to leave Colorado if they have three or four bad years. Oh, no, that's a good market. And a lot of, uh, I believe a lot of, USA Hockey's based out of Colorado, so yeah. So they're, Colorado they're gonna, Springs, I think, is Team USA's headquarters, if I'm not mistaken. I kind of understand that if if certain markets get a little worried that you know their team might walk if they can't get fans in. I mean, Florida struggled to get people in when they were winning. If they go on a couple of years of that's a, like Arizona, though. I know a lot of people beat up Florida and Arizona for the attendance stuff, but what? is not taken into consideration with some of those comments. Glendale is nowhere near Phoenix. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's not conducive for people to travel. It's like, like, okay, I live in Rochester. Buffalo is close, but it's still 45 minutes away. If the Penguins are in town, it's not a pain in the ass for me to go see them, but I'm not going to be a season ticket holder. No, you're not doing that every third night. No, that's you're talking almost two hours of commute just to go see a what is a three-hour game. It's it's not ideal. Plus, you know, when do you get out of work? Can you get there in time? Parking, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with uh, the Florida Panthers. They're in, um, I don't know. It's not in Miami. Yeah, they're in the wrong spot. The, the arena's in the wrong spot. Same concept is what I'm saying. Now, if they were in Miami, I think it would be more conducive and people would go. So, yeah. So I think everybody in the West is still alive outside of Arizona and Colorado. That could make for a fascinating finish. Although I would throw Vancouver with the other two I mentioned, even though maybe I'm extremely biased, but whatever. I, I'm allowed this, some biases. This is, this is the thing. Like Vancouver are right in that situation that Toronto used to always find themselves in. And the Sabres. And you, well, and you saw how long it took Toronto to try and, you know, bite the bullet and go, okay, let's just trash this thing out and then we'll start again. And you look at the results they've got from being bad and acquiring draft picks and trading away 
old assets for 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 you know draft picks to replenish their 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 pool of, of young talent. So at, at some point that Vancouver franchise has to let it go. But how and do they let it go with the Sedin stuff? You just do. You just how? you don't totally, you just don't totally you just have a team that's there and then they either go, We had enough of this we want out, and then they go. Well, the only way you can get out is if you separate yourselves. Well, then they'll be like, oh, "Well, fine, we'll just do one more year." Yep, exactly. And then you just so you but just then you lose it for nothing. Them. Well, then so be it. You've got to start from somewhere. They they're, they're in a bad spot because of the Sedin. Um, they box themselves they, into that corner because they've got them both, and that's just it's the unfortunate well, thing about. It's not the Sedin's fault. They they box themselves in because they've made. Tons of horrendous decisions around them. No, no, I, I realize that, but this was always going to be the problem at the end of at the end of their tether. When the Sedines stopped producing at the ridiculously awesome rates that they were, and they started to taper off just from natural regression in sporting career, they're always going to get to this situation in Vancouver where they're not worth the amount of money they're paying them. But you can't move them for assets because they got to go in a pair. It was always going to turn out like this. Yeah. Well, podcast uh, friend Brandon Sutter is at 1.23 points <laughs> per 60. And um, his possession. Oh, wow. I had to look very far down that list. On a bad possession team, he's 46.8%. Drink, so, boys. Drink. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Garage League boys. Drink, drink for that one. It even counts when we bring them up. Um, <laughs> well, nice thing about that is they only have to pay them four point three seven five mil for the next four years after the season. Oh, you love digging that knife in and twisting it a little further, don't you? But it was yes. predictable. I know. It was easily all the information was there. It it was all there. Yet Here's Nick Benino and a second-round pick, Pittsburgh. We'll take your, your dead weight, and we'll give you a guy that can complement two other pretty good wingers, and I guess you'll win a Stanley Cup. And pay it cost a lot cheaper as well and allow you to get a winger that you needed. Yeah, like that allowed them wiggle room to eat some of Scuderi's contract to get Trevor Daly. So... I, I but that sums that that trade almost sums up where Vancouver is. Because Benino maybe not great, but he's better than Brandon Sutter. And you throw the second round pick Pittsburgh's way. Okay. <laughs> that that feels a lot to me. Like and that signed him to an extension before he even plays a game for you. Yeah, that's I don't. Yeah, well let's. I have to admit, that's the thing with the, the Fleury contract. It's the one thing that, that annoyed me with Rutherford is he had him for, what, 20 games, 30 games? I went, yep, yeah, I'll give him another three-year deal at almost six. Four years. Just, was it, oh, was it four, was it? Because he's, last year was year one of it, right? This year's oh, so year got, two, and he's still got two uh, more. Two to go, yeah. It's just, it is, there are times where... And he certainly didn't need things. to give a no-movement clause, which is causing a headache with the... Expansion draft <laughs> at the present moment. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I can just see Vancouver uh, ending up in the standings better than most of us expected and the management doing something silly to try and push for the playoffs and failing. 
and you'll get the Vancouver media go, told you they're not that bad. But it's like, well, where are they? They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in that dead man's land of, of just outside the playoffs, but not bad enough to, to get a, a a chance at a top top one pick. And their drafting hasn't been great either. So even if they were up there. So whatever. Betting for life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we covered a lot today. We have, because it is like 10 to 1 in the morning here, I've just realized. <laughs> it is Friday for you, though. Yeah, I know, but I do have to get up early and do some shit, and I'm like, oh, crap. So, with that said, I guess we'll wrap up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I did think we, we ran the gauntlet. Um, so, hockey, or sorry, patreon.com slash hockey hurts to financially support the podcast. Uh, hockeyhurts.com, hockeybuzz.com for my Pittsburgh Penguin articles, at Gunnerstall for Twitter, at Walshy66 for Twitter, at hockey underscore Hertz for Twitter. Anything else? No, just thanks for listening. And uh, we keep saying this, but we try to get a little more regular and we just can't get our schedules right. You all know this by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. (laughs) Bye.